0: Clientships, Customer Experience, Superheroes podcast series. My name is Christopher Brooks and in series two, I'm going to be bringing you another episode, a special uh, in response to the COVID-19 crisis we are in. I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Marina Shapira. Marina is a specialist in consumer behavior. Uh, It's a topic that's fascinating at any time when you think about just what impact experiences can have on customers' behavior and how you can change perceptions, uh, find that the reality is their actual behavior changes. But even more so, it's important to understand what's going on in the middle of COVID-19 as we are now. How are consumers adjusting based on the information they're receiving, based on their needs and their expectations in this very challenging and unprecedented time? So we're absolutely delighted she's here to give us some insight and share with us some incredible research that she's been undertaking at the moment. As I mentioned, this is uh, another special podcast, um, and we are delighted to be joined um, by the head of behavioral research from Quantum Metric, and that is Marina Shapira. So welcome, Marina.
1: Hi, Christopher. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here today.
0: Great to have you. And uh, I mean, I think you and I probably would have uh, spoken um, definitely in this podcast series looking at CX superheroes, because I think the, the sort of work that you're doing is, um, is really, really valuable and very insightful for, for uh, customer experience. But I, I guess given the current crisis, um, even more so. Now, great title, Head of um, Behavioural Research. Could you give uh, the listeners an appreciation of, of what that actually means?
1: Yes, of course. Um, so I like to describe it as sort of a marriage between a few disciplines of psychology, behavioral science, which is kind of the theoretical framework that we base our insights and work on. But then we use really innovative research methods like machine learning um, to process digital analytics data, which is relatively new and is something um, proprietary that we're doing. So. It's, it's really both worlds in ha- um, enhance each other and complement each other really well. So there's heaps and heaps of data um, and behavioral science lens really helps to understand what are the most important elements of the data and the insights that we're seeing that can really you know, move the needle for companies and really make something influential for both the business and the end user who's using the digital product and really wants to get something out of it.
0: And, and what was your journey to, to this position? What would your background include?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I started um, in pure psychology. Uh, did my PhD in cognitive developmental psychology. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through this process of academic research, um, I really you know, became very curious about how research is done in this sort of outside world, quote unquote. I was interested in venturing into the business world and bring all that academic training and and, in research and theory um, into customer experience and really helping companies enterprises every day to touch millions of customers i just felt like in this way i can influence more people faster if i'm applying my skills in the business world so kind of towards the end of of my phd i started looking at um at different research positions and actually started working at a company called Clicta, um in a rather similar role so it's a digital analytics company and since then I you know, moved a few other companies and now I'm at uh, Quantum Metric which is um, you know the industry leader in this field.
0: Excellent and I have to say I'm so pleased to hear that research is more and more involved in customer experience. I think um, For quite a while, the discipline has been focused from the the front line backwards, so we have a lot of great customer service people in um and marketing people and and even strategists but uh i think there's been a lack of pure scientists and researchers in involved in customer experience so it's it's great to hear you know of yourself um and also organization like quantum metric kind of pushing the boundaries so um i understand you know you're, you're doing a lot of consumer research it must be a very interesting time in sort of april 2020 to be undertaking research into consumer behaviors i mean um are you, are you running research in in the current uh, crisis
1: Um, yes absolutely it's a fascinating time and there were a few hypotheses um, that I had in the beginning of how customers will behave and it's just so interesting to see it unfold um, and actually matches um, very basic theories in psychology kind of how do we react in times of uncertainty, in times of change, and how does that change is the way we interact with digital products and go about our daily lives, basically?
0: Okay, so
1: way so- we um, almost daily we analyze the data, we look at the trends, we keep updating the press, um, and just to give everyone the most up to date, fresh information to help them guide smart decisions.
0: Sure. So, so your your um, your sample is it's a it's a global sample you're going out to, is it?
1: Um, it is um, mostly based out of the US currently, yep. but also includes Europe.
0: Okay. In so it's a so it's a fairly good good pool then, and and you you say sort of um, uh, you're able to feed the press. So so you, that suggests that you're actually turning this around pretty quickly if you're giving it to um, organizations that then can publicize it.
1: Certainly, I think that actually many um, professionals in the data analytics field feel this pressure now of all eyes are on them Mm -hmm. and uh, data becomes this currency even more than before also in communication between companies it feels like any communication needs to have a good value exchange and that value is coming from data and from insights.
0: yeah well i I think being in kind of this overused word unprecedented times um you can see uh governments being very reluctant to forecast and uh, you know estimate what they think outcomes will look like because without the data there's just no certainty and, and I think we as consumers certainly as citizens um, are valuing the importance of quality data in order to inform us we see around the world certain nations who perhaps haven't submitted full data sets you can see the, the you know the devastating impact it's having on their society when they're making changes and decisions based on half the information so i completely agree with you i think data has become um it's i wouldn't say it's it's fashionable data never seems to be fashionable but it's become critical to uh, to society certainly now um so you, you say you, you've got this research going going on at the moment may, may i ask you know what, what are the sort of um the the major changes that you're seeing in consumer behavior online then what sort of things are you observing that um perhaps you you anticipated you said sort of you know some of the basic human psychology and and our behaviors are just um being exaggerated so what are the things that you're seeing that we'd expect to see but also are there things coming out that are making you think hey i wasn't expecting to see that
1: yes definitely both are true um so at first, I was trying to look at basic theories in psychology and try to see if they can predict behavior um, right now during this crisis. So one thing is that, you know, when we feel um, greater uncertainty, our sense of control really goes down. And when we feel lack of control, our anxiety goes up. Mm-hmm. And one way to get back just a tiny bit of that control, for example, is to stock up on products. And that's why we've seen in February the panic shopping and um, you know toilet paper disappearing uh, from shelves. It's a way for people to mitigate and self-regulate their stress and their anxiety, and that might actually be a relatively harmless and not very expensive method uh, of doing that. And of course, um, needing to actually have those products in home if, if quarantine is about to start.
0: And do you think with so, do you think with yeah. those those products? Actually, it's almost, uh, it's almost irrelevant what the products are. It's the fact that you can exert control. If I feel I need eggs, if I feel I need washing powder, then I can buy washing powder. I'm, I'm, there's a very small thing I can control there. And therefore, when the shelves are empty, it increases panic because the very small thing I thought I could control, I can't even control that.
1: Yes, exactly. We're more likely to go towards very basic products mm-hmm. because um, when, also when we are facing life's fragility and kind of almost um, feeling a sense of we might have less time on Earth than we think we might um, before, it's called um, a time horizon. So our time horizon is shorter now. Uh, which leads us to really look inward and prefer things that we know. We don't want to broaden. We want to just, you know, really optimize the present moment Uh um, and go with what we already know that makes us feel well and helps us. So we're not going to look for some, um, you know, different uh, products or something new and innovative that can help me. We're just going to double down on the basics. And that's probably why people were shopping for those essential products.
0: And yeah. Does does that happen in the subconscious then, or is this something that we can actually access in our in our in our brains, the yeah, the, the ability happens. to change our our time horizon, or is it just something that happens to us that we're not aware of?
1: We're typically not aware of that. Um, right. People just do that intuitively, and we can see that also online when um you know. In just uh, in the very early March, I released an article on this uh, um, phenomenon of time horizon and how can it impact online shopping. And I talked about this, you know, deep emotional connection that companies should talk to their customers in a more emotional way than ever, mm-hmm. because this is what we favor when our time horizon is short. It's supported in research, and. It's amazing to see that there's a flood of this type of emotional language right now. Even too much, um, I would say that some people are deterred from it because it might not feel as genuine. Right. So. Um, The recommendation there might be even uh, now, you know, the reverse that you need to, of course, communicate in this way that will speak to where your customers are at now from an emotional standpoint, but also don't overdo it. So it won't uh, sound not genuine.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a really, really good point. And so the other sort of things that we expect, what what about the things that you've seen come through that perhaps were less predictable?
1: Um, yeah, so just to add on, uh, some of the things that how we saw the panic shopping manifest online, Mm -hmm. uh, there were a few very interesting metrics that that came together to support that. So for example, we saw that people are much more likely to discover products through search rather than navigation and searching for something, um, means that you're goal oriented. You know what you're looking for on an e-commerce website and specifically we looked at websites that sell essential products. Yep. So instead of navigating where, oh, let me see what's under the linen category, you're less interested in that. You you know exactly what you need. Bear me one
0: second, get. Marina, sorry. I've just got someone printing in the background, so I'll just get you to uh, re-say no that bit. I do apologize. No problem. So I, I, I explained we were podcasting, but um, it doesn't always get through. Okay. some reason i've got a henry moore sculpture being printed out i think i know what it is My, there's a there's a u a uk um, army veteran who's walking around his garden a hundred oh. times he's a 99 year old man and wow. um, he has um he wanted to raise a thousand pound for the national health service and he raised 12 million yeah, no, it's just un- unbelievable. But um, there's a campaign online to draw him, get children to draw him pictures and say thank you. Mm-hmm. So I think that may be what I've got here. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I can't see my son at the moment. Is it you? I'm on a podcast, Henry. So if you could just, yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Sorry. So let's go back to uh, that, that that previous question about the other. Um, things that you found
1: um, yeah, I, I was about to describe um, how we see online shopping manif- uh, panic shopping manifests on online
0: mm-hmm. yes, that's um, exactly yeah. right yeah yeah let's go on go on with that then so the, 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 the other you were talking about imp- um, uh, goal orientated shopping yeah
1: exactly. so we are seeing um, online manifestations of panic shopping in different behaviors that coincide together and paint this picture of very goal-oriented and purchase-oriented behavioral patterns. Mm -hmm. So customers are much more likely to search um, rather than use navigation on websites. Search um, is a function of a website that we use when we really know what we want. And we use navigation when we kind of want to explore and maybe see what's under a specific broad category. So just like we said before, at this time, we just want to get the products that we need um, and make sure that uh, you know we're safe, we're secure and not explore.
0: Uh, Anything okay. that
1: has to do with exploration and broadening is going to decrease. And, um, Similarly, we're seeing also that customers are much more faster to select the product. So they're looking um, at product detail pages much less before they're hitting that add to bag button. There also might be fearing that inventory might go down, so they want to secure a specific product for themselves, as well as they're looking at more product pages per search that they make. So typically, we see customers uh, in a longer research phase, they're looking, they're more picky right now, they're hitting those product details pages um, very quickly, also because their searches are much more focused on what they need.
0: Wow, okay, so yeah, so just one more
1: metric. um, that that is very interesting is that the whole checkout process, both on mobile and desktop, um, is now um, significantly shorter compared to in March 2020 compared to March 2019. So, And it's the shortest on mobile, where typically checkout is more difficult and takes longer. But uh, people are buying much more in the context of the here and now. And overall, people are also shopping more for mobile. And uh, that's why we're seeing those really
0: uh, speedy checkouts right now. Wow. So, so that greater kind of um, human instinct around the fact that we're, our mortality is, uh, is at risk here and we're, we're, our, our life um, is, is, is potentially shortened is actually played out on our online shopping behaviour. You can see the correlation between the two. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, precisely, and anyway, this is true specifically for websites that sell essential products. Yep. Some different trends might be seen in apparel or in cosmetics, um, where actually um, people are shopping for somewhat different reasons. But uh, for the panic shopping in, in online, we're definitely seeing that in the essential category.
0: Okay, great. And, and are there any sort of odd things coming out that you you don't quite understand yet, but are, are of interest?
1: Um, not necessarily odd, but I personally expected that in March, the panic shopping will attenuate and we're going to see more browsing from the desktop. We might see uh, people that just want to spend some time. Uh, so maybe exploratory patterns would go back um, mm-hmm. and restore the previous and maybe even grow. Right. And we are seeing that for apparel and for cosmetics. We're not seeing that for the essential category.
0: And, and so if I am a regular online shopper, I, I've got a fairly good appreciation of what what a good experience looks like, what I should expect and, and, and what perhaps I shouldn't expect. If I give a, an example, when I've gone onto a hardware store, um, I now get served with a message to say, you can access the site in five minutes due to um, exceptional levels of traffic. If the expectations that I had pre-COVID-19 are not being met are consumers uh, accommodating that or are they intolerant and sort of saying right forget it i'm on to the next one what's your what's your view or what's the observation from the research on that um yeah so um
1: unfortunately we're seeing um somewhat less tolerance to that um because we're seeing this, like you just uh, said, an influx in new customers coming, which is can be a great opportunity or a threat. Because if the experience is great, then customers are much more likely to remember it because our brain is wired to remember peak experiences. And we're definitely in a peak experience right now. So if a brand served me now, um, that might contribute to my loyalty going forward because they helped me in a time of need. Mm -hmm. And again, that would depend on the category. And how essential that is. But in general, we now completely depend on online to get everything that we need. This is our window to the world. So, if some company blocked my window to the world or something was ambiguous about um, the experience, like shipping was not clear or I can't even access the site, then this will, um, are, you know, people are going to remember that much more than during normal times. And unfortunately, we are also seeing among new customers um, higher frustration rates as well as higher error rate. Right. Some of this is stemming because um, they are... Going through flows like account creation or first checkouts that typically have a lot of friction points and might mm-hmm. also experience a huge influx in traffic, which might uh, slow them down. We're seeing websites being much much slower, and of course we know that we have about two minutes for a website to load before we abandon. So in this spirit of urgency um, and of really goal-oriented behavior and speedy um, checkout processes and shopping journeys overall, there is much less time to impress customers right
0: now. So, and and I think what you mentioned there about this influx of new customers, I mean, I guess there's a particular age demographic that are having to engage that previously have decided not to. So this this new influx of customers, they're not coming there willingly. They're not coming there for fun and entertainment and to find a better way they're coming because they have no choice. So I guess if when they get there, the very thing that they've resisted then doesn't work, it almost reaffirms to them that their decision to not shop online was the right one. So companies who fail those customers at this time will lose them forever, I, I suggest.
1: Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. I'm doing a lot of uh, work in terms of conceptualizing and measuring online loyalty. Mm-hmm. And where we know from our own research that accumulation of several errors and mistakes, um, as much as three, can start to fraction and deteriorate all wow. online loyalty. Um, so that will probably be confounded. At this time.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's as few as, as three mistakes and that's it, I'm out. This is just too painful now.
1: Um, in certain cases, yes. Yeah, okay. More with more established loyalty, if they experience a consecutive array of uh, mistakes and errors and just negative experiences, then that starts to erode their loyalty. It's, it's not, um, you know, they're probably, um, they're, we have this loyalty score, so they're going down on the loyalty score. They might abandon completely, but Um, They're more likely just to uh, have a lower loyalty score, which is correlated also to how much money at the end of the day they will bring into this business. So this is definitely a negative outcome uh, from a business KPI standpoint.
0: So let's, let's stay on loyalty because I know this is your specialism. So you mentioned there about sort of peak experiences and I kind of understand the difference between... Um, an actual experience and the remembered experience, and the remembered experience can quite often create a very different impression than what you actually went through. So with With that said, it do we do we need to rethink loyalty? i mean if i'm a if I'm working, if I'm a customer of a business, then that business typically will reward my loyalty based on the number of transactions that I'm giving to them rather than giving them to the competition. but actually, if I've been through an experience such as covid19 and i've been really impressed with an organization um maybe i've not had that many transactions with them but potentially emotionally we're going to get a loyalty now going on that's going to last forever so does it mean organizations need to really think about how they define loyalty with their customers
1: yes definitely i think so we now know Uh, through our research that loyalty is just like you're saying it's more than just the transactions and it it is very much also dependent on habitual patterns of Mm -hmm. behavior and something that is quite fuzzy and might be difficult to measure which is the emotional piece Mm -hmm. emotional loyalty And I think that online um, traditionally were these anonymous sessions that couldn't really be tied in together into one cohesive view of a person. But now with the technological solutions, we are much beyond that point. But not all digital businesses have cut up to that. So this is why most businesses are optimizing for conversion rate because it is, of course, tied to a very clear business outcome, but in a sense, it's easier to think about um, one online session and its immediate outcome, which is conversion. But over the long term, what is going to be much more profitable is measuring customer loyalty and how, and even predicting it and how it unfolds over time. And what are, how to sum up all those micro interactions to create a true relationship with a customer, which is going to be much more profitable. And I think everybody knows those. Statistics of you know how much cheaper it is to to retain an existing client between five to twenty five times, and that um, you know the top ten percent of uh, of our most loyal customers are bringing most of the revenue. So all of these stats are across the internet. But then, how do we actually do something actionable and, and measure this? What we are doing is we're combining several metrics um, mm-hmm. with a predictive approach. And what we are looking at is behavioral patterns, like how frequent um, is a customer shopping online? And what is his sentiment? Uh, For example, using voice of customer um, uh, tools in combination with uh, objective behavioral measures like we see in digital analytics. So we're basically completing the picture. We're looking at um, just objective browsing data in which... Uh, you know, uh, we record what customers do online. So they, of course, it's ethical and legal, but they don't necessarily know that um, their behavior is being tracked at that moment. So they're just being uh, natural and this is uh, almost as bias-free data as you can get. Yep. But then we combine that and weigh that against what they're actually saying because that's very important. So in, in customer experience, we know that what uh, people do is not exactly what they say which is it's it's true but we want to know what they're saying mm-hmm. because this is very emotional experience mm-hmm. so by being able to distill those reactions on voice of customer tools and combining that with um you know sort of pure behavioral data we're able to uh, paint a complete picture of how loyal they are to, to a specific brand
0: so I mean, I, I'm, I find this topic just so fascinating because um, if I'm a new company or if I'm investing in digital, one of the, the strengths of, of digital is the ability to, to measure data points. Um, but as you say, the emotional value of loyalty is, is fuzzy and it's difficult to assess. And as you were talking, I was just thinking of an example from, from Amazon, for instance. So if I take Amazon who have during this time said look we're going to prioritize from our, uh, our in our marketplace some particular product lines and these are these are back to what you said these are the essentials these are the ones that create anxiety pet foods health products those sort of things everything else is going to be pushed back um now i know uh, my, my my dad for instance has never really been an online shopper but has chosen to to shop during this time and has done Grocery shopping and Amazon shopping. But he went on to Amazon and he said, It's rubbish. It takes so long to get anything. So, from his perspective, it's not delivering the strengths that he's understood it to deliver. But from my perspective, emotionally, I'm really, really deeply attached to Amazon because they're making the right choices which will not show on any transactional data set. What they'll see is, as you say, there in the verbatim from me saying you're making the right choices and that's why I will continue to shop with you ab- above others. So it's a really interesting space that you're moving into. There must be one that's quite challenging when people throw data sets showing a correlation between you know, retention transactions and increased share a category, whereas you're trying to use the language to explain, this is a much much more complicated relationship when it comes to loyalty.
1: Yes, definitely. But they're intercorrelated. So those emotions, they're driving uh, people returning to a website. So we know that the frequency of just plain visits without a purchase and how um, um, the, the recency also of purchasing, so sort of the time that elapses between your first and last purchase, that they have also... A huge correlation with ultimately how much a customer is worth to a business, which we always have to tie back to business KPIs, right? To to make digital yeah. uh, organizations care about that, to improve the, the experience. So it's nice that when we're talking about loyalty, uh, improving a business KPI is actually going hand in hand with improving someone's uh, you know ability to achieve his his uh, goals and needs online, which are now pretty critical. But definitely they're intercorrelated and the emotion is driving the behavior. So I would almost say that looking at the behavioral pattern um, above and beyond just purchases, but like also like visits, their duration, um, and different me- um, metrics of the visit quality, it also does quite a bit um, about the, uh, the emotional loyalty and of course in a market it has competition because if there is lack of competition then and people are buying uh, you know because they have no other place to buy then it's a it's a different dynamic there
0: so is there a new model for loyalty then? I mean, do you have a framework that you're working towards that will become? You know, I think, you know, we 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 crudely used to work on RFM, didn't we? Recency, frequency, monetary. I mean, what what is the new framework for loyalty?
1: Yeah. So um, my framework um that I coined and we're working on um at Metric um is the acronym is Clear Framework, um, mm-hmm. and it stands for. Cognitive a part of the, the cognitive loyalty, which is more of kind of the brand awareness um, Just checking through metrics that customers were exposed to the main business offering that they even know what we're um, Want to provide to them and by the way, that would be a huge percentage of every digital organization um, uh, Client base, right. so most would be pre transaction uh, kind of very low loyalty for now But a huge opportunity to move them up the ladder and then the L would stand for um, loving or liking mm-hmm. a specific brand, which here we would measure all, all the sentiment data that's coming through a voice of customer. So uh, the I in clear would me- measure the intent. It is very important to be able to predict what is the intent of the specific journey that um, customers are having right now. Is it a purchase oriented visit for to a website or are they still in the research phase? because we know that before we buy something, even something small, um, typically not not during COVID, we want to have a few research uh, visits, mainly from mobile. So a visit without a transaction on mobile is not necessarily bad, but how do we know that? So we develop uh, uh, predictive analytics models through machine learning that can help us know that. Um, And then finally, within the CLEAR, um, uh, abbreviation R stands for uh, uh, repeat purchases and right. this is where we really tie it all back to the monetary and this part we actually measure with uh, a predictive customer lifetime value model.
0: Okay. And then we
1: take all of that together and, and score that t- uh, t- to create a loyalty score from one to ten.
0: Wow. And, and, and how, long do you, I mean, how much data do you need before you start getting some kind of reliable and, and, and recognizable outcomes?
1: No, it's, it's a great question. Uh, it would depend on the volume of, um, of traffic as well as how frequently customers are coming. But typically with um, the machine learning piece, we would need about between one and two months of um, history to train the models.
0: I mean, we, we're going through this interesting period. I mean, we, we're capturing lots of examples of great um, initiatives and, and organizations who are, getting to grips with what the right thing means and that realizing that putting the customer's world at the heart of their business and not just the customer um, means they move away from transactions and, and move towards sort of society betterment which which is great and it's really reassuring to hear in your definition of, of loyalty how it's a much broader inclusion of of different aspects of the, of the customers um, behavior and interactions so what what lessons are there? I mean, what opportunities are there forecasts for companies in the future then to come out of COVID? How, how can they behave differently to um, get an advantage in, in the new world?
1: Yeah, I think that um, a huge understanding that's coming to a lot of businesses right now is how fast can we do something Mm -hmm. and how fast can we go through digital transformation how fast can we iterate on our product uh, and just provide the best experience and projects that um, businesses thought will take six months or a year are now being done in days we see that everywhere and we also see this um, spark of, of innovation that's just coming out of necessity and i think that um Companies will become even more agile and will mm-hmm. understand that they have to react um, even faster. And this, that black swan events like this, they're just unavoidable. We can prepare for the future as much as we want, but some events are just unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- they would have to. Um, I think weave this nimbleness and agility into their DNA much more because uh, the only way to prepare for another unexpected black swan event is just to make sure that you are able to adapt very quickly and change quickly and gauge uh, where the market is very fast.
0: Okay, so, so that, that will mean ensuring that everyone recognizes that you know you have permission to adapt and, and not creating such tight restraints on the way that you do business that it prevents you from actually moving forward, I guess. Oh, yeah, I spoke to um, uh, uh, another professor last week who was talking to me about the fact that The ability to respond to unpredicted events will become part of our experience assessment. So actually, there's a lot that I like about an organisation because they manage my expectations. They fulfil my expectations. But actually, part of what I like about them will be the fact that although I don't know what the future looks like, I'm reassured that they will adapt and adjust in that situation, which is not something we've we're necessarily worried about before, but we're becoming more and more conscious of the fact that we do not know what the future holds so much.
1: Precisely, and uh, big organizations are known for being rather risk-averse, and I work with a lot of Fortune 100 and 500 companies, and we're implementing for them a lot of changes uh, one by one, very gradual pace, and checking everything, which is not a bad methodology, but I think that many businesses are now understanding that Um, they have to live in the spirit of continuous product design, and Mm. they just, they, they have to flow and move quickly and not be too afraid to break things. But when you have the right systems in place um, to always monitor what's happening in, in your online business, And when you're sure that, you know, if if you're going to test something and just release multiple times a day, but you know that you have the system that is there for you and letting you know if something's breaking, then you will feel much more confident to adapt quickly to user needs as they unfold so fast and just changing all the time. The ideal is that all of this sits on one data platform that provides one source of truth. Um, and this is where we're striving towards in quantum metric and providing to, to a great extent for many clients. But some, uh, sometimes, um, you know, if, if the voice of customer data is not being collected, um, I think that um, the objective behavioral data can still help us to understand um, most of what we need to know to take the right decision quickly in the moment uh, if that data is coming real time
0: i think i've uh, learned an awful lot um about a topic that's fascinated me for for a while um and and you, you've you've explained it so brilliantly it's been so useful to spend this time especially at the moment um knowing that there is some sense in what we're seeing there is some logic some of the behaviors that we're seeing are perhaps a little bit more predictable than we thought they were going to be and and obviously also that you know organizations like quantum metric are out there providing organizations with quality data and individuals like yourself to sort of interpret it which it's just wonderful so thank you marina i mean we've got um thank you. as, you're welcome as part of the the cx superheroes um positioning What what's in there are superpowers and two that are really really important are the analyzer so the ability to actually read and understand the data and make something of it but also the interpreter who's able to convey it in a way, way that organizations then can understand and action it and um, they're two of the six superpowers and, and just in this short time talking clearly you're world class when it comes to both of those so thank you so much for your time i'm, I'm sure everyone's going to get so much from listening to this and and i guess if people want to contact you just to pose a question or, or speak to you more specifically about a challenge what's the best way to get hold of you
1: sure so first of all thank you so much christopher for those kind words i'm very humbled and i can be found online on my website which is bybehavior.com with a hyphen Mm -hmm. I am on Instagram with the same name, just underscore by underscore behavior on Twitter as um, Dr. Marina Shapira Mm -hmm. and of course on LinkedIn, which is another platform um, that they really like just as Marina Shapira, PhD.
0: Wonderful. And, and and that's great. So uh, I would be very surprised if people don't contact you. Um, and, uh, you know, please do um, come back at a later stage. You'll be really interesting, perhaps in six months time just to reflect on on the findings that you, you've got post COVID-19. Or maybe it'll be a year's time just to sort of understand whether some of those changes have become um, permanent changes or whether we snapped back to our pre-COVID behaviours.
1: Yes, that's a huge question, and I, I have a few hypotheses, and I can't wait uh, <laughs> to see what happens. I also want to invite listeners uh, to visit quantummetric.com to learn more about this continuous product design uh, paradigm approach that can be so helpful during this time.
0: Of course, and we'll we'll be we'll be sh- we'll surely uh, reference it in our social posts as well, because I think both uh, yourself and, and the work that's happening at Metrics sounds fascinating. So uh, thank you once again. We'll we'll sign off there. So uh, on behalf of all the listeners, once again, um, uh, Dr. Marina, uh, we very much thank you for your time. Wish you well in these these times. Um, continue safe uh isolating and um uh and really enjoyed speaking to you so thank you again
1: likewise thank you